electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What are the most important stocks in this market? The ones that define the moment, show you where the money's going. After a mixed day where the Dow gained 71 points, the S&P declined 0.28%, NASDAQ lost 0.52%, notable outlier. I want to explain how I choose the stocks I highlight when I come on air every morning on Squawk on the Street. So you know what I think's really going on before the bell and then right after it. You know, I'm always looking for names that are both important and possibly investable for you. Okay, the process is a complex one. First, I want to capture the zeitgeist. There are two major themes going on right now. Supply chain disruption. You read about that a lot, right? And that's including energy shortages. And then the fact that interest rates are going higher. They went up 6% last week. That's a lot. You need to know about these two themes every minute of every day if you're going to pick stocks. Because that's what's driving the averages. I also try not to mention the same stocks that we've already discussed here. You don't want overkill. I know a lot of you watch that show. It also means eliminating many situations we talk about at the top of Squawk on the Street. With interest rates going higher, you know the banks are going to do well. That's become a duh moment because this market isn't about being clever. So people just buy the banks without question as they're supposed to be the obvious winners here. Buy, 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 right? Of course, this is just a knee-jerk reaction, and these are often nonsensical. Sure, the banks should be making more money, but when they actually report in two weeks, their earnings numbers will have nothing to do with the current long-term interest rates and days of days. This is already nothing to do with the quarter. It's all about what happened over the last three months. The banks have been a disappointment relative to their stock prices because they often run, just like now, on some kind of theory that has nothing to do with earnings but has more to do with The zeitgeist, okay? When we get the actual numbers, they could easily disappoint because expectations have already been ratcheted up. Now, lots of people confuse these two things. I want you to understand this. They say, we get a lot of calls like this, a lot of emails. 
uh, company beat the expectations. Why didn't the stock go higher? The answer is often that the stock ran into earnings because of moves like today, which are divorced from the actual reporting numbers. The expectations are just what the analysts are looking for. They don't necessarily represent what investors are looking for. Long story short, I wasn't going to mention the banks on Mad Dash or Stop Trading because now they're well covered. It really just doesn't do any good for me to cover them some more. Next up, oil. This one's pretty straightforward. Both oil and natural gas have been going nuts. They've been huge winners in the first nine months of the year. Nothing's changed. It's just gotten better. Oil just keeps going relentlessly higher. Why? Because American oil producers have finally gotten religion on spending. They don't just burn all their money by endlessly drilling like they used to. Instead, they're returning capital to you, the shareholders, at an impressive pace. That means you might want to buy one of my favorites, maybe Chevron for the consistency in the dividend, Devon for its potentially huge variable dividend, or Pioneer Naturals for the same reason. Even Diamondback Energy, symbol FANG, has a new, more conservative posture that includes a major return to capital. I also like Conoco because of that acquisition they made last week. They're buying Royal Dutch's acreage in the Permian Basin at a ridiculously low price because Royal Dutch is basically being forced to sell it by regulators in the Netherlands. Oh, yeah, and if you really believe we're looking at a long-term natural gas shortage overseas, you can speculate with Tellurian. That's T-L-L-U-R-I-A-N, the company that Sharif Suki started after he left Shinyar Energy, the liquefied natural gas export powerhouse. Given that there are huge natural gas shortages in both Europe and Asia and they're not going away, maybe our prices are a steal because we've got plenty of natural gas. Now, remember, I'm in a whirlwind. Uh, of thought about what to say at 9.30. And, and now I, I talked about buying these oils last week, so I'm not going to go and hit them again, right? I'm not going to repeat what I said here, there. That's not interesting enough for me or you. This show flies. We hit China, and we mentioned that Tesla's going full bore in PRC, even with the, uh, with the Evergrande fallout. I said I think Tesla can go higher, and it's giving us a nice umbrella to the whole electric vehicle complex. That's Lucid. That's Fisker. Polestar, a new one that's coming public via SPAC merger. Tesla's now worth nearly $800 billion. It's starting to make a big move up. Lucid. Lucid's at $42 billion. Polestar is going to have an enterprise value of roughly $20 billion. I suggest that the lowly Fisker should be bought at 14 and change. Good call. It then jumped more than 5% today. Uh, which brings me to the mad dash, since we've covered China and we've covered the banks, we've covered oil. Can't be any of those. Now, I had talked earlier about an emu that I thought about adopting this weekend when I went to the Last Chance Ranch. Okay, it's not that far from my place in uh, Bucks County. And the producers put, put up that, that emu for a couple of laughs. Why not? The emu really kind of funny. And then I went to the prize. And the prize, the prize was Micron. Not Tesla, which has been covered. Not the Chinese. Not the dollar. And not oil, but Micron. See, I told David Faber that the big commodity semiconductor company reports tomorrow if it's going to be, and if it's, it could be down big on earnings. If it reports a good number, though, I think it can really fly. However, I mentioned that there's a chance Micron reports an inline number and then lowers its forecast. How the heck, you might ask, is that possible in the middle of a semiconductor shortage? Simple. Not all chips are the same. Micron makes DRAMs and Flash, two low-margin kinds of chips that are quite abundant here. That makes their earnings problematic. More important, the semiconductor stocks are pretty weak away from AMD. Any upside surprise could send the group higher. Even if there's no good reason for them to trade higher, hmm, they don't trade together. Micron trades separate. Now, what is this about? Well, wait a second. They're all bunched together in ETFs. So Micron's the one to watch because when it reports tomorrow night, it's going to define this most important group. Why mention it this morning? Because the analysts are all talking about it. I wanted to get ahead of the quarter. So Micron stays as Kramer's mad dash.
Okay. When we came to the bell, the noticeable weakness in tech had to be commented on. I simply pointed out that you can't have higher interest rates go, and at the same time have growth stocks go higher. It just doesn't work. They're simply they're not compatible. Once again, the banks were and the oil skyrocketed, but even the travel and leisure stocks jumped. Now, that's very unusual. See, travel and leisure jumping, even though oil and gas is jumped, but they're not trading like they should. See, the latter uh, is going up because covid has peaked. That's what people think. Now, remember, peaking and being beaten are two different things. We're going to speak to Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA head, who's written an amazing book called Uncontrolled Spread later in the show. Now, he predicted a peak, but that does not mean, he, well, you should take a bow, but that doesn't mean it's finished, all right? Now, I know the airlines and cruise lines are on fire, but that it might be best to buy American Express because there's both travel and interest rate exposure. And, you know, look, when we're trying to figure out how to be bank, how to be dollar, you know, how to be all these. No, wait a second. American Express. You see, here's the problem, though. I had hoped to save American Express for stock trading. That's the 955 one. But now that it was out, now that I mentioned it, got to toss it out. That puts my brain into overdrive. I am now getting frantic about what to say when Carl turns to me and says, Jim, what are you going to think for stop trading? But you know what? I'm not out of bullets. Earlier today, earlier today, Pipe named Best Buy a best idea. That was the perfect way to end the show because I have met with Best Buy CEO Corey Barry, who has spent a fortune making sure that they that the store can handle any supply chain interruptions. And she did it well before what's happened now. That's some foresight. That plus Best Buy's got some incredible new services, including what amounts to your own personal IT department when you work from home. Sure enough, the stock rallies five bucks and then leads the retailers up, aided by the feeling that the Delta variant has peaked. So the great reopening trade is back on. Yes. We're going not with travel and leisure. Already out ruined that. Couldn't do American Express. Stick them with the uh, Micron. That stays in the picture. And then Best Buy turns out to be my. This was my stop trading. Well, my handwriting is so bad. But trust me when I say that this was my stop trading and this was my mad dash. The bottom line, bam, bam, bam. Micron for tomorrow, Best Buy for today, and a whole lot in between. That's Squawk on the Street for Monday, and it's on the man money for the rest of the day. Tammy in Virginia. Tammy. Hi, Jim. First time, long time. All right. All right. Let's go to work. Thank you for all you've done for home investors like me. I'm 77 and still investing. Yes, I love that. You have to because you're going to have a long and happy life and you're going to need that money. You can't just go into cash. It doesn't work. Let's go to work together. (laughs) My stock is DocuSign. I did half my position for a good profit. Yes. And am now invested with the house money. So I wonder, with a new position they added by hiring Cameron Scott, do you see DocuSign as a stock to hold? or sell as part of the work-from-home play? I am going to say hold. Uh, I would be tempted to say actually buy, because DocuSign is going to be the company that's come out of this thing better than anybody. Who ever heard of DocuSign before this? But you have a good profit. You're playing with houses money. No need to put in more money to work, but no need to do any selling. And congratulations, and thank you for the kind words. Anthony in Michigan. Anthony. Boo, 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 yeah. Happy oh. to be talking to a legend in his own time. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Um, Mr. Kramer, with 
the great Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger moving up in hate. And my perception is more and more authority is being given to the vice presidents like Abel and Laura. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see in store for Berkshire class B shares? And what percentage of your portfolio would you make? Well, I know that it has underperformed of late, but you know what? It's Warren Buffett. It's a great collection of assets. I would say you could make it one, you know, let's say if you had a 10 stock portfolio, I think you make it one tenth your position. Not more than that, though. I don't want it more than that. I am always looking to highlight the most important stocks in this market for you, the ones that define the moment and show you where the money is going. You need to think about two major themes driving the averages, supply chain disruptions and higher interest rates. And you need to know right now that this is my mad dash and this is my stop trading. And boy, are these ever capturing the zeitgeist for the moment. On Mad Tonight, looking to gauge the health of the economy? Turn to the rails. I'm checking in with one of the best, and that's Union Pacific. Get a read on everything from supply chains to congested ports. Then there's a new universe in town. I'm digging to the world of the metaverse and sharing the best ways to play. You and I want to know what those are. And yes, we have Dr. Scott Gottlieb on. These are the, this is how I look at it. I read every single page and I pick out the ones that I like the best. He's been on the forefront of bringing truth about the pandemic to our viewers. And so I'm getting the latest from the former FDA commissioner at the release of his new, yes, I'm calling it a page turner book. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible.
visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We keep hearing about endless supply chain woes, especially for companies that need to get product from our congested West Coast ports as we head into the holidays. So what does that mean for Union Pacific, the well-run railroad that dominates the western half of the country? In the past, the West Coast connections have been a huge positive for Union Pacific. But thanks to the port fiasco, it now seems like a major liability. That's one reason the stock has pulled back from 231 its peaks in May to 204 today. Could this week just be a buying opportunity? My child trust owns it, especially now that the stock's starting to bounce off its last week's lows. Or do we need to be more concerned about the future in a world where the Delta variant is putting the brakes on the economy and we can't seem to solve the port problem? Let's check in with Lance Fritz. He's the chairman and CEO of Union Pacific. Get a better read on where his company's headed and what the heck is going on here. Mr. Fritz, welcome back to Make Money. Jim, thanks for hosting me. It's been too long. It has been too long, Lance. And I've got to tell you, I was so glad when I heard you on the show because I trust you more than all the various factions. I've known you for a long time. I've known your company forever. If you had to wave a magic wand, what would get us out of this jam with these ports? I'd say two things primarily. Uh, The first is we've got to focus on labor at the uh, last mile, first mile. So that's getting the product from, let's say, our intermodal ramp into a distribution warehouse. We need truck drivers and we need uh, distribution warehouse workers. So number one is labor. And number two is we got to get the Delta variant under control. That's a global supply chain issue. And uh, that needs to be satisfied by vaccination, I think. All right. So let's let's take the first one. Uh, Someone presumably wants these jobs. We do have 340 million people in this country. If you pay people enough, won't they take those jobs? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think we're probably seeing a little spillover effect from very generous unemployment benefits mm. that kept the working population a little bit lower than it would be normally. And uh, I think people are also sitting on a fair amount of cash uh, that's indicated by the savings rate as well as the account uh, deposits that we all are enjoying. Uh, but over time, I think uh, these jobs are paying more, whether you're a truck driver or uh, working in a D.C. center. And uh, I suspect those jobs are going to be filled over time. If that's the case, then we can start uh, factoring in a turn in intermodal, which has long been our favorite part of Union Pacific. Yeah, you know, UP has a, a very good franchise, and it's, it's beyond intermodal. We have a wonderful industrial fr- franchise and a bulk franchise, but intermodal is important to us. And, and I heard you talking about the West Coast ports, and they're never a liability. We serve wonderful inbound ports for uh, U.S. consumers, and we're looking forward to a time when the supply chain is a a little bit more balanced out. All right. So let's go to the first thing you mentioned about COVID. Here's something that's really confusing me. Um, We used to have, I have to believe, uh, people exporting things to East Asia. It seems like we send trains to the east, but they seem to want to come back empty to the west and no one wants to do that. What's happening to the west east to west trade? It's still there, and we're working very hard on filling those boxes to go back out uh, west. Now, one thing that's happening is more of the transoceanic shippers, the ones that own the boxes, they're trying to get the boxes transloaded in the L.A. basin, more so than normal, putting them either into truck or into a domestic intermodal box, and then sending that international box back 
uh, west quickly. Now, that's kind of messed up the supply chain a little bit all by itself. But we work really hard to find outbound commodities uh, to ship back west, things like uh, grain. It could be uh, any export product you can think of, up to and including even raw, raw lumber. All right, so Lance, you're making me feel like this is indeed a transitory problem, that six months from now we may not be talking about these two things, whether it be COVID or whether it be the truck driver shortage and the labor problems. Might take a little longer than six months, Jim, but I, I do believe it's transitory. I think it's all about balancing out capacity with supply. And everything you see says demand coming inbound is substantial, way up. And capacity to handle it just hasn't grown to match. Wow. Okay, so with precision, uh, incredible the way you, you know, get your operating ratio better and better and precision railroading, could I possibly, could we see a day where we might be able to, even with all these problems that you just mentioned, have great numbers anyway for Union Pacific? Well, we are generating really good numbers, even in the context of the kind of challenges that the supply chain is seeing. And bear in mind, uh, Jim, we're the middle miles of that supply right, chain. Right. We're generally pretty darn fluid. And we're seeing the congestion uh, sometimes at the ports, being able to get boxes off the port dock and into an intermodal well so we can take it east. And uh, a lot of times at the destination where we've got a box sitting on our property and it's waiting for a truck driver to come get it and take it to a distribution center. So in that context, as long as we're very prudent and we work very diligently with all the supply chain partners to help them be as fluid as they can be without sinking our own middle mile territory, we're going we're gonna to do just fine. Although I'd love it to get more fluid because it's retarding growth right now. There's more growth out there on the top end than, than we're able to, to enjoy. Have you been out there, I mean, to look at those ports and kind of see the mechanics? It seems like there's a lot of time where nobody's working. Yeah, there, there's certainly opportunity to be able to work uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's a lot of reasons why that doesn't make sense right now. They're experimenting at the Port of Long Beach and, and at the Port of L.A. trying to figure out how best to balance out their labor shifts so that they don't, they don't just jam more product inland that doesn't have anywhere to go. So, so it's got to be balanced out. I know they're worried about that, but you're right. There's, there's plenty of capacity to be able to handle it. If we get the labor situation right, we get the entire supply chain right. All right. So we got to get closer than we are with COVID, and we got to figure out this labor situation. And I'm staying uh, long for my Challenge Union Pacific the whole way, because when this thing works, it is going to work huge. I want to thank Lance Fritz, Chairman CEO of Union Pacific. Lance, it's always great to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take a longer-term view. There is no better way to play a resurgence in American manufacturing than Union Pacific. Short-term, you heard the problems, and it sounds like they're not going away anytime soon. That money's back into the break. Coming up, find out what stocks are powering the metaverse. Are some of these winners already in your portfolio? Stay tuned to Mad Money. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know us. We're always on the hunt for the next big theme. And lately, we've been hearing a lot about something that almost sounds like science fiction. All sorts of tech companies have started talking about the metaverse or the omniverse or the multiverse. So what is the metaverse? I like Mark Zuckerberg's explanation the best. I'm going to quote him. It's a virtual environment. We can be present with people in digital spaces. And you can kind of think about this as an embodied Internet that you're inside of rather than just looking at. And we believe that this is going to be the successor to the mobile Internet, end quote. In other words, when you hear these tech companies talk about the metaverse, it's basically the Matrix. No wonder they're finally making another sequel. If you think that sounds far-fetched, I don't blame you. But we keep hearing about this metaverse from real companies, not from fly-by-night $2 stocks, uh, both on their earnings conference calls and in our interviews, Facebook, NVIDIA, Roblox, all bring it up. Everyone. Last week, it was the Unity software people. Okay, Unity is a highly, highly successful pick and shovel play for video game development. And, you know, I love those kinds of things. Now, they wouldn't be talking about something this crazy if they didn't believe it. Listen to this. We are dealing with a company that I think is the single best way to play this. And it got clobbered today because this is the kind of stock that got sold. So tonight I want to do a deep dive into the Internet metaverse. Let's start with these guys, start with Unity, because they're the ones who really brought it to our attention. Remember, this company has a video game engine that helps develop, create new content, especially for mobile phones, where they've got the dominant position. When we spoke to CEO John McIntyre, I remember him from video games from way back. He laid out what he sees for the future of the Internet. His idea of the metaverse and why I like this stock so much, listen. What we're going to see is instead of, you know, shopping online and and seeing a a model wearing a shirt like this that might be better looking and taller and cooler looking than me, it'll be me in that model because I'm experiencing it in real time. Wow. I I found it just incredibly eye opening. And I can't believe the stock's getting just getting obliterated here. In other words, rather than looking at a screen, we'll have 3D content in the real world that you can directly interact with. Kind of like how Tom Cruise had those gloves in Minority Report, except for you don't need gloves. Where would Unity fit into this metaverse? They've got great software tools for real-time 3D rendering, the process of creating a three-dimensional image from data in your computer, rather than the illusion of 3D image on the screen. In the future, you might have an actual 3D image projected right in front of you. And who's ever making that image will need tools. And that's where this one comes in. This will always be a part of all of these any theme involving metaverse, omniverse. Uh, but it's not just smaller alphas like Unity. We've heard the same story from major players in technology, like longtime Kramer fave NVIDIA. I got to tell you, this may be my favorite way. You know, this is, um, you know, the dog can get into the building. I can't. 
If you want realistic-looking video games, NVIDIA chips we know are essential, right? Only AMD can compete in graphics processing, and you can't tell. When you're looking at an NVIDIA game, you can't tell if it's the real thing or not, and that's where the metaverse comes in. NVIDIA started talking about what this means for the metaverse. They've already got a product line for it, which they call Omniverse. This is the world's first simulation and collaboration platform, something they're working on in collaboration with Adobe and also Blender. That's an open-source 3D animation tool. Basically, they're trying to make it easier for people to design metaverse content for shared virtual worlds. And real companies are already using NVIDIA's platform to design architecture, create special effects for movies. BMW is even using it as a kind of virtual factory to help design cars. But it's not just a virtual simulation. As CEO Jensen Wong explains it, quote, the omniverse is essentially an overlay of the Internet and an overlay of the physical world is going to fuse all these different worlds together long term. End quote. You can see all the uses here from industrial design to entertainment. I know it sounds unreal, but if Jensen's right that the metaverse is the future, it means we'll need a lot more semiconductors from NVIDIA to process all these 3D graphics, whether in virtual reality or augmented reality or whatever they want to call it, which is another reason why I think NVIDIA is still a buy, even though it's had quite a run. Next up, even Facebook's gotten on the metaverse bandwagon to the point where Mark Zuckerberg even said, and I quote, in the coming years, I expect people will transition from seeing us primarily as a social media company to seeing us as a metaverse company, end quote. Facebook has a sideline in virtual reality. They make those Oculus headsets. So if they can somehow combine that with the social media, side, it could be big, although it might take a long time. Now, lately, Facebook's been hammered by negative headlines. We all know that damning series of articles the Wall Street Journal, but other platforms can cause serious real-world damage. Management mostly knew about these problems a long time ago. Reads real bad. Just today, they had to halt their Instagram for Kids project. You can see how that might not end well. Thanks to the drip of bad news combined with a not-so-hot market, Facebook stock has fallen 30 bucks from its highs at the beginning of the month. This, despite the fact that business is currently booming, or at least was booming the last time the company reported back in July. At the time, Mark Zuckerberg had a lot to say about the metaverse. And again, I quote, within the metaverse, you're going to be able to hang out, play games with friends, work, create, and more. You're basically going to be able to do everything that you can on the Internet today, as well as some things that don't make sense on the Internet today, like dancing, end quote. What separates this from the existing Internet is that the multiverse, with the multiverse, you have a sense of presence. It makes you feel like you're really there with another person in another place. Like I said before, it is the Matrix. Zuckerberg caught some flack for this because it all sounds very pie in the sky. But when you have Facebook, NVIDIA, and Unity all saying the same things, well, i got to tell you, this is real, and it is happening. One last point on Facebook. Last week, their chief technology officer stepped down in the wake of the Wall Street Journal hit pieces. I'm less concerned with that, more concerned about his replacement, Andrew Bosworth, who comes from Facebook's augmented virtual reality organization. In other words, the new CTO is a metaverse guy. I know there's a a lot of thought that Facebook might be losing customers because of its uh, revelations uh, in the journal. My child trust has a long-standing position in stock, and I am sticking with it. Finally, let's not forget about Roblox, the online gaming platform where millions of users come together to create and play in immersive multiplayer experiences. When Roblox came public earlier this year, it was the first time I can remember seeing the term metaverse in an IPO prospectus. When it comes to this theme, Roblox is already halfway there. Their platform supports a thriving set of virtual worlds with its own currency, and it's one of the rare places on the Internet that's actually safe for kids. That said, I've got some worries about how business will hold up now that children are going back to school. Plus, China's a key growth market for Roblox, and you know that the government's been cracking down on technology there, especially for video games for kids. Stock got crushed today, tumbling nearly 4%, just under $80. It's now down more than 20 bucks from its high this spring. Short term, I'm not sure this is the best uh, time to own Roblox. Longer term, though, if you're looking for multiverse plays, it belongs on the list. 
Here's the bottom line. When everybody from Facebook to NVIDIA to Roblox to Unity is talking about how the future of tech belongs to the metaverse, you have to start taking this idea seriously, even if it sounds like something out of science fiction. Hey, but then again, 20 years ago, a smartphone would have sounded like science fiction, and now we can't live without them. Maybe it will be the same thing with the metaverse someday. I need to go to Antonio in Michigan, please. Antonio. Hey, Jim. Um, I've been following this doctor a few years now, and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts uh, have been on it. Um, Comcast, you know, they're pretty diverse. Uh, they got media. Uh, they got studio. They got theme parks with the Universal brand. Um, Comcast business, cable broadband. And they got NBC. Uh, I think they got three Super Bowls coming up. Uh, right. They got Peacock. And they got uh, the broadcasting company, Sky. So I'm just curious uh, if you think this is a good stock to kind of have like a long-term play. Um, okay. You know, again, disclosure, I uh, work for Comcast. The answer is, and I actually just literally went over this because I do have a holding in Comcast. I don't own any other stocks. I think this is a good stock. I could sell it if I wanted to, and I'm not going to. And I think it's true. Let's go to Bo in Florida. Bo. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, I'm calling about AMD today. The stock's up about 6% in a week. Right. It looks like it's coming off a nice double bottom base. Uh, it's selling at 6.7 times next year's sales estimates. And with its acquisition of Xilinx closing um, before the end of the year, do you think that uh, AMD still has a lot more room to run? And is that going to bring the sales estimates down from where it is? Oh, I'm not, a cons- I'm not a conspiratorial guy, but I found it very interesting that AMD bucked an incredibly negative semiconductor trend, which I am hoping means that the Xilinx deal will close and the people raise numbers. I say you stay long or own AMD like my charitable trust. I feel very, very good about it. Now, the metaverse right here, these are the ones. There's only four of them. Metaverse may sound like something out of fiction, science fiction. But when companies like Facebook, NVIDIA, Roblox, Unity Software, and Black Mirror, just kidding about the last one, are diving into this virtual universe, you better start taking it seriously. Maybe even own one of these, okay? Much more mad money, including my interview with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. That's fresh off the release of his new incredible book, Uncontrolled Spread. I'm learning more about his time at the FDA and his view on how the U.S. has handled the COVID-19 pandemic. Man, investors are fleeing some of Wall Street's biggest names. But should you be following the crowd? I'm really how some best-of-breed names are, are just being thrown away. Maybe they're worth owning. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. More than a year and a half, we've been stuck with this pandemic, and at this point, we desperately need trusted voices, experts we can turn to for apolitical straight answers, which brings me to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is now a senior fellow at the American Institute, American Enterprise Institute, excuse me, AEI, as well as being director for Pfizer and Illumina, two of our favorites, not to mention a contributor here at CNBC. Dr. Gottlieb had retired as FDA commissioner about a year before COVID first hit, meaning he knew all the players involved in our health apparatus. I dropped the ball. So he had incredible access as the pandemic unfolded. He's got this amazing book, Uncontrolled Spread. I'm going to hold it up. Uh, why COVID-19 crushed us and how we can defeat the new pandemic, next pandemic. This is it. It does an incredible job of explaining why our country was so poorly prepared. Don't take it from me. Let's take a closer look at Dr. Scott Gottlieb to get a better sense of this devastating story and his page turner of a book. Dr. Gottlieb, honored to have you on Mad Money. 
Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, first, I want people to know, are you a writer? I mean, this is one incredibly well-written book. I mean, has it been something you did before you were a doctor? Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, I've been writing for years um, for editorial pages and uh, long-form articles. This is my first book, uh, but I've been writing most of my career. Well, the reason I mention that is because there really is a narrative here. There's a narrative from when it first happens and we think that there's only one person. You actually mentioned Joe Kernan asking the president Davos about it. Goes all the way through and then leads to some important conclusions. Now, I'm going to go to the end for a second because I think it's important. We'll work backward. But you basically say this is a national security issue. We cannot let this be a health issue. That's right. I think we need to look at public health preparedness through the lens of national security in terms of how we make preparations in this country, how we make sure we have the capacities we need to respond. And I think there were a lot of failures at an agency level. People focus on the political narrative and what political leaders did or didn't do. And there were plenty of political mistakes. But the bottom line is that there were a lot of shortcomings in our agencies, in the CDC in particular. And there's not really, I don't think, a strong recognition uh, of those weaknesses. And because of that, we're not better prepared today than we were when this all began. I think we're more aware of some of the shortcomings, but we really haven't done much to shore them up. From the national security standpoint, I think we've historically relied on multilateral agreements between other nations for other nations to alert us to threats when these emerging infections first crop up. I don't think we have that luxury anymore. I think we're going to have to get our national security agencies more engaged in the overseas mission of trying to identify when these pathogens emerge overseas so we can get an earlier warning of the next pandemic. Okay, now there's another narrative, too, and I like what you just said because it's important, but we need everyone to take it seriously. There is a moment in the book, uh, actually two moments, where President Trump is talking about coming together and, and he's against masks. But interestingly enough, you say he's against masks because they make people look funny. Now, one of the great things about your writing that I'm commenting about is it's not done to slam the president. But there is truth to the idea that the White House, in some ways, chose not to take it seriously and emphatically so not to take it seriously. That can't happen again if we're going to have another epidemic. Yeah, well, look, I think there were moments when the White House did take it seriously. I think that the criticism of the White House is that they didn't follow through. Um, There was a view that took hold in the White House later on, probably when we got into the summer, that uncontrolled spread was inevitable, that the mitigation steps we were taking were not going to be able to keep this virus at bay, but they were having a significant economic cost. And the White House really backed away from additional measures, trying to galvanize a collective action that could have slowed the spread and bought us more time until we got to a vaccine. And it's my view that there's things we could have done if we would have gotten more more consistent compliance with certain measures. There's things we could have done not to prevent the pandemic. This virus was going to spread, but certainly to prevent how severe it became by the fall and the wintertime. And wearing masks was one of those things, one of those easier interventions that we could have gotten collective action around. Also, having people forego the kinds of things that we knew were conducive to spread, indoor congregate settings in confined spaces that we knew were the sources of the super spreading events, having more people try to avoid those kinds of settings. If we had gotten more collective action around some measures like that, I think we could have not prevented this pandemic, but not but it wouldn't have been as severe. Now, uh, I mentioned on Twitter that there were no heroes yet. And then I finished the book. Dr. Gottlieb, I feel that the heroes are America's companies. 
whether it be the scene in the book where you talk about Regeneron versus Lilly, and they're both really working hard. Whether you talk about Pfizer, I know you're on the board. We're talk, talking about, about Moderna, talking about literally all the companies involved are heroes. Abbott Labs, I felt that they were maybe not perfect at the beginning, but they did a good job. American industry fared itself pretty darn well during this epidemic, didn't it? Yeah, look, we were at a technological inflection point where we were able to derive fully synthetically uh, drugs and vaccines. If this pandemic had struck three years ago, we wouldn't have had the the tools to be able to quickly pivot towards the development of vaccines or or drugs. We would have had to do it old fashioned ways like we make the flu vaccine. You would have grown up the virus in cell cultures, inactivated it, cleaved off its surface proteins and used that as the viral stock. In this case, we were able to come up with vaccine constructs using the sequence data alone. If this pandemic had struck five years from now, these approaches would have been mainstream. But we crossed a technological inflection point with the fully synthetic derivation of drugs and vaccines. The other heroes in this are really the healthcare workers and the American people. Uh, a lot, the American people really sacrificed. We talk about the things that we didn't do, but there were a lot of things that we did do. Um, there was a lot of compliance with masks. People did stay home. People closed their businesses. So there was a lot of uh, hardship endured by the American people to try to mitigate the severity of infection over the course of the last year and a half. Is that one of the reasons why you have been, I follow every word you say, a little more optimistic that we may be peaking here in COVID. I'm optimistic that we're peaking in COVID um, for the grim truth that the Delta wave is so pervasive and infecting so many people that on the back end of this, we're going to have immunity in at least 85, maybe 90 percent of the population. Some will have acquired that immunity through vaccination. Some will have acquired that immunity through infection. Some will have been both vaccinated and infected. But on the back end of this, you're going to have so much immunity in the population that the virus isn't going away. I don't think we're going to reach true herd immunity where this just disappears. But it's certainly not going to spread at the kind of levels we're seeing right now. And the prevalence will decline. And barring something unexpected where you get a new variant that pierces the immunity offered by vaccination or prior infection, I would expect on the back end of this Delta wave, probably sometime around Thanksgiving, that prevalence levels will decline. Now, again, remember, the Delta wave is being experienced on a regional basis. The South is coming down dramatically in terms of their caseloads, but other parts of the country is going up. Okay, one last question. Uh, President Biden got his third today. I've gotten my third. Your recommendation after, say, seven, eight months, maybe a third is a good thing? I think that's absolutely the case. The CDC guidance, I think, was prudent. It, certainly anyone over the age of 65 or those who live in long-term care facilities should be seeking out a third dose. That's the recommendation for both FDA and the CDC. All right. I want to thank you for uncontrolled spread, which is, by the way, once again, not political. It's a straight facts, but it reads like a novel. It's on Andromeda Street, thank heavens. But it looks like the good guys win in the end. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, it is a joy to have you on Mad Money. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. It's real. I mean, my wife said, why can't you put this book down? Come on, football's on. I said, no, I got to get to the end of it. She says, it's not a novel. I said, well, it sure reads like one. Mad Money's back everywhere. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is and then the lightning rounds over. Are right, you ready? Keep that down. The lightning rounds over. Let's order Gwenny in New York. Gwenny. Hey, it's Gwenny on the go from New York. All and right. I just want to shout you out for your valuable insight on the market. But just not that, but your 
support and promotion for adopting animals. Oh, my. Congratulations yes, on your Thank new you. Thank you, Gwenny. Thank you. And I love chewing, just by the way. <laughs> um, my question is about a stock that you really were hot on about two years ago and even throughout um, I think because of its relationship to Constellation, mm-hmm. um, it's been a real kind of, let's say, a lot of uh, potholes in the road for the cannabis industry. So oh, I want to oh. know, is is CGC, Canopy Growth, a long-term hold? Uh, yeah, but you know what? It is better just doing uh, Constellation. I mean, really, Constellation's got uh, uh, Modelo and Corona going for it, and it, it, you need more than just uh cannabis. But thank you for those kind comments. Let's go to Bill in New York. Bill! Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Bill. How about you? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, I have a stock. I'm up about 400% on it. And uh, it's called MGI. Mm-hmm. And they just came out with a, uh, a not them, but another asset plan for for Bitcoin or something like that. And right. They want to be able to transfer money without it costing anything. So yeah, my, my but you know what? You know what, Bill? Honestly, you have a big game. This. I want you to take half, let the rest run. I am not a huge fan of MoneyGram versus, say, a five server versus, say, a PayPal versus, say, even a square. So that's that's the way I would play it. Can I go to Jeff in Kentucky, please? Jeff. Hello, Dr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. This is Jeff from Monroe County, Kentucky. The company I am calling about was at 52-week low 10 days ago, and since then has gained over 5 bucks, including $2.61 today. The majority of its sales are to Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart. They are the leading supplier of cannabis growing equipment mm-hmm. in North America through its Hawthorne business, okay. SMG, a buy Today. I like SMG. I like Scott's Miracle very much. I think it's a buy. It's been a buy for a very long time. I really like the management. And that, ladies and of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, no need to pump iron to stay sharp. Kramer bites into a fang-based barbell portfolio. Next. Now that interest rates are rising again, we're seeing the wholesale abandonment of all things tech. Right now, you can't touch Salesforce or Service. Now, Apple's toxic. Facebook's a black hole. Amazon's being wrapped by labor costs. But while tech gets slammed by this rotation, you need to remember the best of breed companies don't just go away. If you're in it for the long haul, these stocks are worth buying on the way down. Don't get me wrong. It makes sense that tech's become a house of pain. It's time for the energy stocks to shine because they're still so underowned, despite rising oil and gas prices. You can buy the industrials because it looks like Congress will indeed pass some kind of infrastructure bill. The bank stocks go up when its rates are climbing. We're in a terrific moment for all those groups. What matters to me, though, is that you don't throw away Apple or Amazon or Alphabet or Microsoft because they're temporarily on the wrong side of a sector rotation. Think about all the times people dump those stocks and only circle back at higher levels once the industrials falter or banks miss their numbers, which will probably happen when they report in a few weeks. These are best-of-breed operators. They don't go down easily and stay down easily. 
Do you really think that Amazon, of all companies, can't figure out how to rein in labor costs? Do you honestly believe that Apple will allow its iPhone build-out to be hobbled by Chinese electricity cutbacks? I don't. Sure, there are some worrisome signs when you look at Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google now. But I wonder if Facebook's finally getting real pushback from advertisers due to worries about their ads being placed next to its most egregious content. Instagram just put their kit set on pause, which suggests that they have more work to do. Plus, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce and arguably the godfather of the cloud, has a less than stellar view of Facebook because it's such a source of, in his view, misinformation. I don't know what the solution to that is. Maybe they should come up with some kind of third-party arbiter that can clarify what can run and what can't on a daily basis. Take these naughty issues out of the C-suite and hand them over to a neutral judge, jurist, tribunal, I don't care. Easier said than done must happen. Right now, Facebook sells at 25 times earnings because people are, that's cheap, because people are worried that the uh, advertisers are going to ban them. Compare that to Apple or Salesforce or Amazon. Nobody's afraid they'll lose tons of customers because they're truly best of breed. That's why I think their pullback is definitely a buying opportunity. You can buy these stocks when they're down because you know management's going to figure it out. Amazon will automate. Apple will find a way to build all the phones it needs. Then Apple will buy whatever company Salesforce needs to stay competitive like you did with Slack. The only potential outlier is indeed Facebook. This company must obey its advertisers and its uh, constituents, you, the reader, and become even more serious. I say even more because I know they're already doing some things right about being a single source of truth on the web and not just an earnings juggernaut. Companies don't become best of breed unless they're the best in everything they do, including ethics. Facebook stock hangs in the balance. Now, I do indeed have faith that CEO Mark Zuckerberg can pivot, even if he thinks he's doing everything in his power to make his site safe. It's not up to him, though. He needs to find a way to solve the credibility problem. Otherwise, Facebook will become an also-ran. Now, I think he can pull it off, which is one of the reasons why I remain faithful to it, my charitable trust. But for the moment, you just can't put it in the same category as best-breed operators like Apple or Amazon. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.